0: cyberbit is offering cyberwire listeners a free live fire exercise sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire wikileaks offers to enter the responsible disclosure game better late than never some AV companies tout their reviews in Vault 7, speculation about how CIA hacking notes leaked turns to an insider threat. HackRead warns that PlayStation credentials may have been compromised. The Apache Struts vulnerability is being exploited in the wild. Observers cast doubt on reports the US successfully hacked North Korean missile launches. Komodo researcher Kenneth Gears shares insights from their 2016 Global Research Report. And Trend Micro and Interpol take a look at the West African cybercrime scene. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your Cyberwire summary for Friday, March 10th, 2017. WikiLeaks is apparently opening its own version of the vulnerability equities process, offering to share what it says it learned from the Vault 7 leaks with affected software vendors. Companies are advised by U.S. authorities that receiving classified information puts them on legal thin ice. Some of the antivirus companies mentioned in Vault 7 as having tough-to-bypass products, notably Bitdefender and Komodo, aren't being shy about letting prospective customers know their reputations as, to quote one leaked remark, a pain in the posterior. There's now some speculation about where WikiLeaks got the material it released in Vault 7. WikiLeaks itself says its source was a former U.S. government hacker. The Voice of America says a U.S. intelligence official commented on Background that there are some indications the leak came from a CIA contractor. A federal criminal investigation is in progress. The publication Motherboard reports that WikiLeaks may have been a bit sloppy in redacting names from the dump. Some remain, but whether they're real names, pseudonyms, or something else is difficult to say but Motherboard is taking no chances and isn't publishing any of them. Reaction from the security industry continues to hold that there's less to the leaks than meet the eye, especially if that eye has been trained on the more alarmist headlines. Ilya Kolachenko from the web security firm Tech Bridge told us that he's even a bit surprised at the attention Vault 7 has drawn. Of course, the CIA uses hacking tools and techniques in its intelligence-gathering mission, and he hasn't seen anything so far that indicates the agency was abusing those tools beyond its legal charter. The CEO of security company CyberX, Omer Schneider, agrees that it isn't news that the CIA has hacking tools, or that it maintains a stock of zero days. Quote, most nation-states have similar hacking tools, and they're being used all the time. What's surprising is that the general public is still shocked by stories like these. Regardless of the motives for publishing this, our concern is that Vault 7 makes it even easier for a crop of new cyber actors to get in the game." End quote. Predictably, the Chinese government has admonished the Americans in a high-minded way that the U.S. really ought to stop spying. The online publication HackRead is warning that it's received reports that 640,000 PlayStation accounts are for sale in a dark web market. Hackread says the story appears credible, although it's been unable to confirm it. Nonetheless, PlayStation users might well look to their accounts and credentials. The Apache Strut's remote code execution vulnerability is being actively exploited. Enterprises should patch and patches are available. We heard from Craig Young, principal security researcher with Tripwire, who thinks this is a particularly serious issue a trivially exploitable command injection execution that doesn't require authentication. It's possible for an attacker to create custom payloads quickly to install malware on vulnerable web servers. He suggests deploying web application firewall rules as a temporary mitigation until admins can update struts. Observers cast doubt on claims that U.S. cyber attacks interfered with North Korean missile test launches. It's not clear that DPRK missile guidance packages have the sort of attack surface envisioned by reports of U.S. hacking. Trend Micro and Interpol have an interesting report on West Africa's cybercriminal underground. The crooks divide essentially into two categories. Yahoo boys, devoted to lonely hearts, stranded travelers, and advance fee scams, and next level cybercriminals, more sophisticated financial fraud and business email compromise capers. Both groups are adept at social engineering, although the Yahoo boys do tend to engineer relatively naive marks. The Yahoo boys, so called for their association with Yahoo email, are much given to trolling social media and concocting implausible stories. The next-level cybercriminals are more likely to be found looking for tools in some hacker forum or black market. Of some interest is the connection with Sakawa, an emerging religious system in which internet fraudsters offer sacrifice in atonement to a god of thieves. The sacrifices are held to render the victims of scams more likely to succumb to the ballyhoo. There's also some thought that the sacrifices draw some of the sting of conscience the fraudster might feel from being a crook. So remember, the next time you receive an email from the widow of a Nigerian prince entreating you to believe that a divine voice advised her to seek you out in her time of trial, remember these things. First, Nigeria is a republic, so no princes. Or princesses either, alas, lonely ones. Second, there's no good reason to advance someone money to facilitate a bank deposit. Third, that widow? No, it's a yahoo boy. And fourth, if any supernatural voice was whispering to your emailer, by all the best authorities, it was an internet god of thieves. Not the sort of divine inspiration you'd want to heed, we think. But that's just us. Visit N-E-T-S-K-O-P-E dot com. Joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Uh, Joe, welcome back. You know, we've got uh, some stories here about SHA-1. Uh, SHA-1, right. <laughs> and, uh, so, and, and, you know, SHA-1 has been sunsetted. Yes,
1: it's been deprecated. That's right. For For a number of years, people have been saying, don't use it. Uh, but it's still in a lot of uses uh, around for, for file verification, uh, for certificate signing things. Uh, it's, it, it, Google has changed Chrome so that now when you get a, a SHA-1 signed certificate, it says this is, this is not as secure as it should be. And, and, right. and uh, kudos to Google for being ahead of the curve on that one. Uh, and actually, I think it was one of their researchers that recently generated a SHA-1 collision.
0: Yeah, let's um, talk about that. So That's interesting.
1: hash collisions are a very interesting thing. So you have a, a hashing algorithm is an algorithm that you put something into, a string of bytes into, right. and what you get out is called a hash digest. And it's always the same length, uh, depending on what the hashing algorithm is. It has a few properties, like it, sh- it shouldn't be easy to be reversed. But one of the other properties is that it shouldn't be easy to generate two hashes that are identical two hash digests that are identical sure Uh, now md5 has been broken for a very long time and it still has uses in forensics but that's about it so if you know it's not good for storing password hashes it's not good for anything other than than a forensic application sha1 now has entered that realm where it's about the same it's no longer reliable as a, a demonstrably no longer reliable. Theor- theoretically, it's been no longer reliable for a number of years, but now it is demonstrably no longer reliable.
0: Yeah, I saw that Google said that uh, it would take roughly 110 years of computing from a single uh, GPU uh, to produce the collision, right? Um, and uh, Google's being a little coy with it. They're gonna, they say they're waiting ninety days to say exactly how they did it, which I guess is a good thing.
1: Yep, that's that gives everybody enough time to to stop using SHA one. Uh, I'm I'm going to go out on the limb here and predict that not everybody's <laughs> going to stop using it.
0: <laughs> well, no. And, you know, I, I've spoken to some other experts on on the show about uh, people who help organizations sort of track down and replace their uses of SHA-1. Right. And one of the points they made was that, you know, if you have a large a website or a large installation, you may have instances of SHA-1 spread around that you don't, you, maybe you've lost track of. Right.
1: It's, it's a configuration management problem as well. It, it's... It can be a nightmare.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right. Interesting stuff as always. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. My guest today is Kenneth Gears. He's a senior research scientist with Komodo Threat Research Labs and a NATO Cyber Center Ambassador. At this year's RSA conference, he presented Komodo's 2016 Global Report, what they describe as a deep dive into new discoveries and detailed analysis of recent malware incidents tied to geopolitical events around the world. We spoke with him about the report and the kinds of insights he gains from the research he does with the kind of data he has at his disposal.
2: I'm looking right now at about three months worth of data, uh, but it's about three and a half billion rows uh, from every country on the planet. So believe it or not, Komodo has uh, clients in North Korea. Uh, so every country, every city, every province on the planet, and. What we can see uh, if we divide our, our, uh, our clients into not, on, not only ge- geographic components, but vertical components, so what industry you're in, healthcare or uh, aerospace, government, et cetera, really we can see the progression of malware from patient zero uh, throughout the earth. So it's for me as an analyst, it's just a dream opportunity to be able to look at, at so much data and come up with not only a report that you know, is interesting today, but really is potentially of historical interest uh, because we can see kind of the birth and death of malware. And not only that, one of the things that I personally specialize in is kind of the geopolitical angle. So I've always looked at, you know, uh, attribution issues and... uh uh, data exfiltration uh, categories, for example. I worked at the Pentagon for a long time trying to figure out who's hacking the United States and why. But one of the things I'm doing with Komodo is is putting together really uh, kind of strategic think piece uh, type analysis as well. So especially given the, the uh, 2016 U.S. presidential election, which uh, is widely assumed to be not hacked directly, let's say, but via information operations in in, uh, in social media, uh, fake news, uh, the weaponization of doxing, uh, for example, and uh, hacking of political parties, a uh, wide range of things, uh, it really, it can... It can push an election over the edge, at least in theory and perhaps uh, in practice. So I'm looking at major events um, like elections or invasions, um, big business events, mergers, deals, that sort of thing. Uh, But I can see kind of over our whole uh, ecosystem of malware to to identify where – Geopolitical crises are reflected in uh, the network data, because really cyberspace is just a a reflection of human affairs. So nothing happens really, even at the tactical level, if you want to go out on a date or go to a movie, that in fact is easily uh, reflected in, uh, in cyberspace. Uh, and it's important to know that even if even if communications are encrypted, you can still do heavy traffic analysis against anything uh, and surmise what is happening in the real world. Uh, but for our report, what we're doing is we're placing things into we're resolving IP addresses to, to countries so that we can see which countries are most affected. And then within those countries, we can uh, divide our client base by by vertical. So we know in which industry you work. If you're in education, for example, recently I, I looked at a lot of uh, targeted spam campaign, and it all was going to a particular university network space within a, a particular country. For me, uh, what that meant was that somebody uh, was targeting the you know intellectuals within that uh, country. And when you have a whole lot of data, you can do that kind of, of analysis. So you say, this is not just spam, but in fact, it's, it's a spam campaign that, that has malicious links, uh, will take you to compromising uh, and compromised already, uh, websites where you download malicious code onto your computer. Um, but the recipients of those emails, it wasn't random. It went, in fact, to a targeted group uh, of individuals. But you have to, as an analyst, uh, not not just know a little bit about hacking, but kind of follow real world events so that you can uh, marry the two. Uh, but that's what we're doing with our two thousand and sixteen report. You know we're trying not just to talk about uh, viruses and worms and and Trojans, but what they're used for and who uh, who potentially the actors are who write this kind of software and uh, the purposes they're using uh, malicious code for, uh, which is, you know, which really is even more important and easier to understand for a a layperson, Uh, but it can also inform system administrators uh, to this kind of analysis and this uh, angle uh, to help defend your company, because if If you know for example that that you are entering a period of of geopolitical uncertainty or, or international conflict and tension, uh, for sure you'll be uh, targeted uh, that's only normal today. so for me as an analyst at Komodo working on such a large data set it's it's really a joy to be able to to have room for a lot of creativity and and uh, um, imagination when when putting together a, a year long report.
0: That's Kenneth Gears from Komodo Group. And that's the CyberWire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.